Good morning, this is uh, our talk on Romans 13 and 14. And so we jump into Romans 13, the following seven verses are quite challenging. And it says, submit to governing authorities. But what if we didn't vote for them? And what if we don't like their policies? Um, and this, remember, this is 2,000 years old, so maybe it doesn't apply. Or maybe it does. Read Romans 13, 1 to 5. Um, you can pause at any point. Is this something you disagree with? And do you find this call to respect our governing leaders too challenging, particularly if you didn't vote for them? See, I find it challenging. How can I submit if I believe that our leaders are terrible? And I think, looking at this question, perhaps we need to put ourselves in the Roman church's shoes. In Rome, and pretty soon in Rome, Christianity would be seen as a, a bit of an outlier cult and something that would become a problem for the state because they refused to worship Caesar in any measure. And so the Roman officials would not be supporting Christians, and obviously, as we know through history, they would be actively persecuting them. And Paul is not saying that anything a government does should simply be allowed if you live in that country. He's discussing authority, and authorities in cities, cultures, and countries that are there to you know, keep the peace and the law. And sometimes, you know, if we've ever moved abroad or gone to different places, sometimes those laws will be different. Sometimes a culture will be different, something legal for you here might not be legal abroad, and vice versa. And and if you look at verse 3, he says, For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Do what is right, and they will honour you. So it's clear that Paul, Paul understands, being a Roman citizen, that the Roman governing world had a lot of good things to offer. They weren't just running around murdering everybody they saw fit. Indeed, Rome, even as we can see it as a... Being a bit delusional, did genuinely think that they were bringing in the best possible, you know, kind of city to the world. They thought the Roman way of life was better than anything else. So they're not just trying to kill people. So it's clear that Paul sees some benefit to the Roman cities. And and as Christians, we're called to be peacekeepers. We are called to serve and love without thinking purely of our own self-interest. And then Paul says that the authority was placed by God sent for the nation's own good. And we could perhaps understand this as not just individuals, but perhaps the office of leadership, like the position of authority. Authority as a concept is allowed by God, by people to lead the nations into being a good and peaceful place. And some people who occupy that office might be evil and corrupt or incompetent, but Paul urges us to give them respect and honour even so especially in light of how we finished the previous chapter. Remember in chapter 12 he finishes, Do not repay evil with evil, but with good. Now, if you know the story of Daniel, you'll know that he was taken as a hostage to a foreign king who had, shall we say, a fiery temper. <clears throat> and he gave the king honour, and he worked hard for him and the nation of Babylon he was a prisoner in and for his people who were in prison, or who were at least hostages with him, all without compromising his faith. And that is the most important thing we can see here. Like we shouldn't turn away from our faith, and we should not turn our backs on love and justice and compassion, which are the very outworkings of our faith. But we should work hard and be respectful and honourable in our towns and cities and nations and work for the good of them. We've read before that Paul encourages us to be burdens to no one. And I think we could we could possibly say, as Jesus would say, that he would encourage us to be burdens to not even our enemies. You know, living peacefully and quietly in the nations we've been allowed to have. 
Now, there's a, there's a very famous verse from Jeremiah 29, which we've talked about before, and it says, Seek the peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its peace you will have peace. But if the rulers and authorities are actively attacking our faith or demanding immoral things of us we can't do in good conscience, then we're going to need to ask ourselves at what point we disobey that authority and we stop obeying respectfully. Because, And we have to understand that that might bring us suffering. But remember it is a suffering that God was willing to endure and may well call us to endure for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus and the disciples, at least the disciples after the resurrection, didn't disobey the government on personal grounds. It's clear in Jesus' teachings that soldiers would most likely use their authority to make people carry loads of stuff for ages unfairly. But Jesus says, look, be selfless, be perfect, like overwhelm them with love, go the extra mile. That's where that comes from. Carry their kit another mile, twice as much as they would expect. Love your enemies and bless them. But they would disobey the authorities, they would break the law if it came to whether or not they would betray God. And sometimes we see in our world the nation has become so evil that if you are working within it, by its own actions, it would almost be impossible to be humane and Christian in that environment. And I don't believe Paul would condone submitting to Nazi Germany, you know, if you're on the in the high command of Hitler's SS. I don't think Paul be going, that's cool, submit to the authority because God's put him here. There are some there are some people whose you could not submit to as a Christian because our faith requires the love and the care of the poor and the forgotten and the persecuted. So I don't think Paul's saying that wherever you find yourself, bow down to the tyrant. But anyway, what do you think? What do you think about that whole passage? And so moving on from that, Paul then starts to sum up how to fulfill all of God's requirements. If you've been reading Romans through with me, there's so much about the, you know, why the law says this, but why it's not as important anymore, what God actually requires. And Paul says the only thing we should owe to one another is our obligation to love. He says that all the laws, all of the commandments will be fulfilled when we love one another because in verse 10, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the law. And all through history, we can see examples of things called love that bear no resemblance to what the New Testament explains as actually being love. Now, I've seen examples of love that looked more like possession. I've seen love that looks like obsession, self-indulgence, feelings that are very unstable, something that seeks to hold someone to a very high standard no matter what, uh, something almost like a fantasy, something controlling. And if you've ever wondered whether love in your life is legitimate or perhaps you're concerned, look at these verses. Look, for example, to Jesus to figure out whether the love in our life is legitimate. Paul says, love does no wrong to others. It serves. It is willing to let go. It looks to give rather than take. It sets you free. Love would give everything, even its own life for you. That was me paraphrasing massively. So here's a question. Do you owe anyone anything? Are there promises you haven't kept? Is there a broken relationship that we need to mend? And pray for the wisdom and strength of God to take those steps so that in Jesus' love we can fulfill... Yes, sorry, Eden sat on my lap. We can fulfill the full obligation of the law. 
Let me move on to chapter 14. Um, in my Bible, it's kind of subtitled The Dangers of Criticism. And remember, this is moving on from the preceding chapter that built on from the previous chapters. There's nothing completely in these letters is out of context. And Paul starts by asking his readers to accept other believers who are weak in faith and not to argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, he doesn't mean the fundamentals. So Jesus is the son of God who died and resurrected for our sins. He doesn't mean that. But he's talking about other matters, like matters of opinion, matters of religion, such as, in this example, appropriate foods. Now, some new and young Christians will have very fixed views on things that perhaps wiser or mature Christians might know, may know are harmless and it's not important to dwell on it. The example given in Romans 4, 14 is what foods are acceptable. And we know from Jesus and from Peter's dream in Acts that nothing we put into the body corrupts us, but that what corrupts us comes from the heart. Now, some new believers in our culture will still have culture stuck to them. And unless their opinions are damaging to other believers or harmful and exclusionary and aren't loving, we shouldn't argue with them, but we should deal with them patiently in love. Like, um, say, a young adult learning to grow up, we should allow them to gently grow in maturity and wisdom, yes, rather than smack them on the head. I had some really nonsense ideas when I was 18. And it was ideas that I now understand were too rigid. They were too black and white. They didn't have any empathy and understanding. And in love, we can let go of petty things that don't matter. So have a few minutes. Read Romans 14, verses 3 to 7. What modern examples can you think of where we differ in opinion to other Christians? And think, what things have we gotten too caught up in that were really just pointless arguments that aren't that important and actually gets us in the way of loving one another. And maybe ask, have we stuck to opinions on practical or cultural things in the church that didn't really matter? When we read verse 11 and live in the truth that all of us are equal before God, all of us will bow the knee to God, it should allow us to see every believer and every non-believer as God sees them, they are beloved image bearers of God. We're all equal under God. We should be able to love them better in this truth. And then in verse 13, Paul says, so stop condemning one another. Live in such a way that we will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And the final portion of chapter 14 is all about having compassion and gentleness on believers who hold a different point of view. Paul says if some believers believe that eating certain foods is wrong, then for that person, even if they're wrong, for that person, if they eat a food that they think is forbidden, they will feel like they are sinners. You know, their conscience will be hurt. And if then a believer eats the wrong food, for instance, in front of them, that is going to rub things in the face. That's going to harm the weaker believer. They're not acting in love. And it might sound ridiculous. It really might. But if we rub things in the face of others, even if we're in the right, it's not showing love. It's almost like bullying another person for being foolish. Have a look at verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but that of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the spirit. To have peace with others and maturely serve and love them will mean that sometimes we have to give up what we know to be acceptable in order to not harm the hearts of others, even if we know their opinions are silly. 
So Paul says in verse 20, don't tear down the work of God over what you eat. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes someone else stumble. Now, obviously, in our culture, foods are typically fine for everyone unless they've got allergies. But the example I thought of was perhaps alcohol is not. So if a believer, uh, however unbiblical this point may be, believes that drinking any alcohol is a sin, it would be really best not to drink around them and be gentle and patient 